If you have your copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2 will be our focal text this morning, and if you are using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find Leviticus 2 printed on, or on page 104. It's also provided for you on the inside of the bulletin. One of the interesting developments, maybe that's a good way to put it, over the past 20 or so, 25, I don't know exactly how many years of entertainment has been the concept of reality TV shows. Something of an ironic title, an oxymoron, because there's really nothing real about it, right? But reality TV, and one of the categories, one of the genres of reality TV that I think touches on or in one way connects with what we're going to consider this morning is cooking and baking reality TV. There are all kinds of versions, aren't there? You've got restaurants where they've got crews that are competing against one another. You've got dessert shows where they're baking all kinds of different desserts, and sometimes they're seasonal. They've got to create a Thanksgiving dish or something that would be appropriate for spring or Valentine's Day or something. All of these reality TV baking shows, they have similar components, even though they may look different and have different concerns, I think all of them at one level with the food that is being prepared focus on three aspects. The speed of the preparation. Can you get the task done in the time that is allotted to you? What does it look like? What does the food look like when it comes out plated or served on a platter. But, of course, the most important thing, I mean really, the most important thing about the food, how does it taste? Is it dry when it's supposed to be moist? Is it hard when it's supposed to be soft? Is it well done when perhaps it's a meat and it should be more rare or medium. How, are, how the food is prepared matters. Well, today, as we come to the presentation of the grain offering, speed really isn't an issue here. Taste isn't an issue here. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But the presentation, the preparation, it matters. It matters in this food offering, this second of the five offerings and sacrifices that open up the book of Leviticus. The grain offering, as the Israelites offered it, was far more real and far more consequential than any cooking reality TV show that you have or will ever watch. And there is something for us to hear in this important offering. There is 
as we saw last week with the burnt offering, good news in that offering. There is good news in the grain offering. So let's read about this food offering and strive together to hear this good news. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings." When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings." No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt." If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. And once again, as we have seen already in the past two weeks, as we have been considering the book of Leviticus, we are not in Kansas anymore. We're not in Ohio anymore as we enter into Leviticus chapter 2. But again, there is good news for us in the 21st century in central Ohio who have never in our lives offered a grain offering before and are not required to offer a grain offering because the Lord Jesus Christ has completely fulfilled in His person every offering, every sacrifice that is commanded, is directed in the book of Leviticus. Nevertheless, there is good news for us even in this ancient offering. And in order for us to hear this good news, there are three things for us to see out of this text or connected to the text. The first are the prescriptions. We're going to walk through the prescriptions that are given for these offerings. 
The priority. What is the priority in the offering of the grain offering? And then lastly, the promised provisions. The promised provisions pointed to in this offering. So, what are the prescriptions? Well, one of the things that probably jumps out to you immediately as you think about the idea of sacrifice is not what is here, but what is absent. When you think about Levitical sacrifices and offerings, what ought to come to mind is the necessity of blood. Because over and over, the sacrifices are bloody animal sacrifices. And as we saw last week, and we will hear again and again and again as the writer of Hebrews reminds his readers, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But here, there's no blood. Here, there's no blood because there's no animal. Here, we have an agricultural offering. An offering of the fruit of the earth, if you will. And like, though, the burnt offering, though there is no blood, there is a similar structure to the text. Remember last week when we saw the burnt offering, we had three different subcategories of offering from the herd, from the flock, from the birds. Well, here we also have a group, we have three groups, not three different offerings necessarily, though there is differences, but three different sections that provide instruction to the Israelites. First, notice in verses 1 through 3, we have the uncooked grain offerings. We have the uncooked grain offerings. In verse 1, we're told, or rather, God tells Moses to tell the Israelites about the material that they are to bring for this offering. What is the material? What's involved? When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. This is the most purified flour that the Israelites could have. It represents the choicest the best, and all of these offerings would have been prepared with the choicest of the grains. But notice, with the choice grain, there are two other materials that are provided. There is oil that is poured on the offering. That oil probably signifies the fact that this grain offering is set apart for the purposes of the Lord. It is consecrated, given over by the offerer to the Lord. But not only do you have the flour and the oil, both of which could be consumed, but you also have something else. What is it? Frankincense. Why frankincense? Well, this functioned as an incense to provide odor to the offering. We didn't touch on this last week, but one of the features of this sacrificial system is all of the sights, the sounds, the smells 
associated with this form of worship. And here, the frankincense is added to enhance that odor, enhance the smell of the offering. The offerer would smell the offering going up to the Lord. But as he brought these three items, what was done with them? Notice at verse 2. He will bring this grain offering with his oil, with his frankincense. He will bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, there are three things here that I want to quickly point out. One is, what would the priest do with that grain offering as it was brought? Here, remember last week with the burnt offering, the animal was taken in front of, if it was from the herd or from the flock, it was taken in front and consecrated to the Lord, taken in front of the tent of meeting. We don't have that described here. Instead, what we have is the offerer bringing these elements to the priest, the priest taking some of the flour, taking some of the oil, and taking the frankincense and pouring it or excuse me, not pouring it, but burning it on the altar there in front of the tent of meeting. We read elsewhere that none of this sacrifice was to be taken inside the tent to the altar of incense that is inside the tent. Instead, what is being burned up is burnt up on this same altar that the burnt offering was burnt on that we read about last week. But only a portion of that offering is burnt up. What's significant about this portion? This portion that is burnt, excuse me, that is burnt there on the altar, what does the Lord say about this portion? This portion that is burned is a memorial portion. It is a portion of remembrance. A portion of remembrance of what? Well, probably a portion of remembrance of a number of things. What is being offered in this offering? This is the dietary staple of their food. This is not, they are not offering things out of the cupboard that they think, well, I'm probably never going to use that, so I'll give that to the food bank. No, they're going to the flour, what would have been a part of every meal that they would eat, and that is what they are providing. A portion of that is what they are providing in this offering. And so what is being remembered out of giving from the central portion of their diet? It is a remember one that it is the Lord who has provided this most important, most central part of their diet. 
It is a remembrance of the fact that not only has the Lord provided for their needs in this staple food, but it is also a reminder that they and everything that they have, down to the most basic detail of their diet, everything that they have is the Lord's. And so, as they are offering this memorial portion, it is a remembrance that they are the Lord's, that the Lord has provided to them that which they enjoy. But not only is it a memorial portion, a portion of remembrance, but it is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In what sense is it a food offering? Well, it's a food offering in two ways. It's a food offering in that it comes out of their store of food, but it is also a food offering in that what happens to the rest of the grain offering. It is given to the priest who offers on the altar this memorial portion. And so this, the remainder is given for his food. And as this food offering, this offering of food, is burnt on the altar... It is said to issue into to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We know from Scripture that God is spirit, that He does not have a body. So this offering is not offered to somehow entice God's olfactory senses his capacity to smell, but rather as a pleasing aroma and as the offerer smelled that incense, that frankincense burning and the offering that is offered there with it, as he smells that, he is reminded in that aroma that this offering is one that does please the Lord that it is accepted by the Lord as it is being offered. And as this offering is offered, as we have already said, what happens with the remainder of it? The remainder is given over to the priest, but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When God describes it as a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings, it means that it is set apart for His purposes. And we have these phrases repeated through the other descriptions. This pleasing aroma to the Lord. This fact that these grain offerings are set apart as food offerings, as the most holy part of the Lord's food offerings, as the priest's portion from the offering. Over and over, there are these repeated emphases. 
And as we continue in the prescriptions, the first verses there, the Lord describes the uncooked grain offering. Now, we're not going to spend as much time as we walk through the the remainder, but in verses 4 through 10, we now have a description of the cooked offerings. So sometimes the offerer would bring uncooked flour. Sometimes, at the, the offerer's choosing, there would be a cooked offering brought. So still the fine flour would be used, still the oil would be used in its preparation, and three different kinds are described. Sometimes that grain offering would be cooked in an oven. So you could think here like a loaf or wafers the the scriptures talk about but when you when we think about a loaf don't think about it rising too much because there's no leaven we'll come to that here in just a moment sometimes the cooked grain offering was baked in more of a flat pan what's translated here as a griddle maybe you think of crispy pancakes here Sometimes the grain offering was cooked in a skillet. Think about maybe something like cornbread cooked in an iron skillet. Depending on the circumstances, depending on the choice of the offerer, the cooked grain offering would be provided in these various ways. But notice we have those same refrains You shall bring the grain offering that is made, verse 8, of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. So now it's being brought to the altar again, and the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion, its portion of remembrance to be offered to the Lord, and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. There's that pleasure of the Lord again. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons." This is to be their food. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings, set apart for the Lord's purposes, set apart for the Lord's priests. But notice in the third section, we have some rules. Some rules regarding these offerings. First of all, in verse 11, there is verses 11 and 12, there is a prohibition. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Now, we're not entirely certain why it is that the Israelites are told when you bring that grain offering of fine flour, whether uncooked or cooked, no leaven, no honey. We don't know exactly why that is, but most likely what's going on is it's a matter of purification. It's a matter of purification. Because what happens in both instances is there is a breakdown when the honey is added, when the leaven is added. There are processes that begin to happen that break down the grains and transform them. And so it could be that in keeping with a pure, unblemished lamb, a pure, unblemished 
bowl that was offered with the burnt offering, the leaven and the honey are prohibited in order to keep the grain pure in its devotion to the Lord. But it's interesting, as the Israelites are told to keep this offering pure, they are told to always add something to it. Never leaven, never honey, but always what? Salt. Always salt. Verse 13, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. It could be that this is the opposite to the leaven and the honey. When the leaven and the honey are added, there's a breakdown that starts to happen. But what does salt do? Salt doesn't break things down. Instead, it preserves. It extends. But, As the Lord tells them to add this salt, He doesn't just say, add salt. He describes the salt. It's it's not like He's saying, get the pink stuff, not the white stuff. Instead, what He's saying when He calls the salt, or gives the salt a name, is something important about their relationship. How does the Lord describe the salt? This is the salt of the covenant with your God. The salt of the covenant with your God shall not be missing from your grain offering. This salt of the covenant is a reminder. We, we see elsewhere, let me just say this, you can note these down, we're not going to read them, but Numbers 18, 19, Numbers 18, 19, and then also 2 Chronicles 13.5, we see this language, covenant of salt, referred to again. I said we weren't going to read them. We're actually going to read one. Just listen to 2 Chronicles 13.5. This one is important. They're both important. But 2 Chronicles 13.5 makes a helpful point for us here. 2 Chronicles 13.5 Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. So there, the covenant that God made with David is described as a covenant of salt. A covenant that endures. And so I think what's happening as God tells the Israelites here, way before David to always include this covenant of salt, it is a twofold reminder. It is a reminder, one, that they are in a covenant relationship that God Himself has established. And they are offering this grain offering within the context and within the enjoyment of that covenant relationship. But it is also a reminder that As the salt endures, this covenant will endure. God will be faithful to the covenant promises that He makes. And the covenant of salt, or the salt of the covenant, points to this faithful relationship that they are in with God. But then lastly, in the prescriptions... 
we are told, or rather the Israelites are told, about how they should bring their grain offering of first fruits. That is, the first fruits out of the harvest that the Lord would provide to them on an annual basis. And they're given instructions for roasting that, that food. Roasting that offering. And the priest shall burn as a memorial portion. There it is again. Some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Well, what's happening in the giving of these offerings, in the instructions and so forth? Well, as we think about what's happening, we need to understand one priority. One priority in these offerings. What is the priority? The priority is this. The pleasing aroma is not found in the doing. The pleasing aroma is not found simply in abiding by the letter of these food offerings. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. That word in verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. That word is the same word that is used to refer to the grain offerings in what we read in chapter 
2 of Leviticus. And do you hear what is going on? The Lord is describing the rebellion of His people. He is describing the consequences that have come on His covenant people because of their rebellion against Him. But what are they doing? They're bringing the sacrifices. They're bringing the grain offerings. But the Lord is not pleased. Why is the Lord not pleased? Well, because as we read later in Isaiah 29, 13, these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are from, far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They draw near with their lips, with their words, but also with their actions and the giving of their sacrifices. But the Lord is not pleased. It cannot be said that their offerings issued into a pleasing aroma. Why? Not because they added leaven to the grain offering. Not because they added a little bit of honey. It is because their hearts are far from the Lord. This grain offering, it was required at certain occasions, but it was an, also an offering that was offered simply as an act of celebration, as an act of worship by the worshiper. Remembering, celebrating the provisions of God as He continued to provide for the family. Remembering, celebrating the covenant that God had made with His people. This was to be an act of heart worship. The pleasure of the Lord is not found in the doing. The pleasure of the Lord is found in the heart that issues into the sacrifice, the giving. And this is why it is such a wonderful promise that later in the Old Testament, we will read that God's promise in the New Covenant, the New Covenant that Jesus has come to fulfill, it is the promise of a new heart. It is the promise to remove the heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. It's what the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of John, we read as the new birth. It is the heart that the Lord is concerned about. And as the Israelites gave their grain offering, God's priority was the disposition of their heart. Were they offering it in an attitude of worship? And as we think about these procedures and we think about the priority of the heart, this offering pointed for the Israelites and it points to, uh, for us to some precious promises that will nourish our heart. What promises does the grain offering point to? Well, first, it points to the promise of God's daily provision. If you've grown up here at RBC over the past, I don't know, dozen or so years, and you've had the opportunity to go through the Watson's Sunday school class. And you've walked through the names of God. 
you know what I'm talking about if you've been in their class. So now we're putting you and Mr. and Mrs. Watson to the test. Not really. If you've been in their class, what does, what does it mean when God reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh? Those of you who have, who have been in that class, Jehovah Jireh, what does it mean? The God who provides. The God who provides. This grain offering, as it is given, it is a reminder that God is Jehovah Jireh. That He is the one who provides. Because He is the one who has provided this grain. He is the one who has sustained His people to this day so that they might offer this offering. Because what did God promise? Do you remember when Noah came off the ark in Genesis chapter 8? The promise that God made? Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, hearing familiar language, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And the offering of the grain offering is a, remember, is a reminder that seed time and harvest have continued because the God who provides said they would continue. And once again, He has provided for us and provided for our needs. And friends, what does Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 6? We'll not read all of it. We've read it many times recently before. But Matthew six twenty-five through 33, just one little portion. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? A reminder that Jesus gives to His people to not be anxious about their daily provisions. Why? Because God is the God who provides. Who has said that He will provide for His people. And so what should our response be? Our response should be one of gratitude. Our response should be one that pleases God. Notice, the offerers give out of the most basic elements of their existence in worship to the God who provides. Friends, this transfers over to our own lives. I'm so grateful to be a part of a congregation that just based on the overall picture, because I don't know the details, but on the, on the overall picture, the testimony of our annual budget is that you all are faithful in your giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. 
this grain offering points to the importance of God's people giving out of what God has provided to them. And that as we give, the heart matters. God is not pleased in the giving out of our resources when we do so begrudgingly. Because what do we read in 2 Corinthians 9? What kind of giver does God love? What kind of giver is God pleased with? The cheerful giver. The one who gives out of gratitude. But notice also, in the grain offering, what is given is not what's left over. What is given is from the first fruits. It's from the first parts. And the first part of the first part is given to the Lord. And the remainder is given to support those who were leading in worship. And this has transference as well over in the New Testament. The gifts of God's people are intended to provide for those who would lead the people in worship. Galatians 6.6 Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Note down 1 Corinthians 9, 3-11, where Paul there talks about the, the rightful support that the ministers of the living God should receive. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable, both for you and for me, to stand up here and talk about this idea of giving and supporting the work of the ministry. And so let me say again, that I am thankful for the ways in which you as a church have been giving to the work of Reynoldsburg Baptist Church, but specifically the way that you have given so that my family and I might have food on the table and a roof over our heads. Thank you for being examples of loving cheerful giving to me and to us. I had an alternate sermon title. Maybe I shouldn't even throw it out because I'm not going to explain all of it, but I'll throw it out, and if you're curious, we can talk more about it. When I was working through this week, my alternate sermon title was Church Budgets, the Transgender Revolution, and the Grain Offering. If you're curious... I'll be happy to talk to you about it. The bottom line of it is this. God is the God who provides. God is the God who provides everything that we are. Our bodies as male and female. The food that we eat. The clothes on our back. The homes that we enjoy. God is the God who provides. And we are to celebrate His daily provision in sacrificing, in giving out of what He has provided. But, quickly, this grain offering points to two other promised provisions. 
What is it? Or what are they, rather? Well, one is the promised future provision. Because where are the Israelites as they receive this instruction? Well, they're still at Sinai. It's going to be a while before they have a harvest to cut down. And so even in the giving of these instructions, the Lord is pointing His people to the fact that I have promised to take you to a place where you will fulfill these sacrifices, where you will fulfill these offerings. Because where is He taking them? He's taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. But don't offer that honey with the grain offerings on the altar, just as its first fruits. But it is a promise that the Lord is taking them to a land where He will provide for them, where they will be able to offer these offerings. And friends, we have been promised a future. We have been promised a hope. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. As the Israelites received the instruction about the grain offering, it pointed to a future land that they were going to. And in that, friends, we are promised an even greater future. The future of being with Jesus forever. Why? Because of the third promise that this grain offering points to. And that is the promise of perfect provision. The promise of perfect provision. And friends, this is a provision that we have the privilege of knowing in a way that the Israelites did not know. What do I mean? John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'll close with these words from the Lord Jesus. The Israelites offered their grain offering that was cooked sometimes as a loaf, sometimes as a pancake or cracker, something in the skillet. But in John 6.25, we read about the provision of greater bread. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Friends, God is the God who provides. He provides for our daily provision. He has provided in Christ a future promise that He will surely fulfill because He has provided the perfect provision, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And if you don't know the provision of the saving grace of God by knowing Jesus Christ by faith, I would love to talk with you. But if you do know the Lord Jesus, will you remember today that He is the one who has been given so that you might know life? Will you remember that He is the one who has been given so that there is a future. There are promises. Will you remember today that this one who has been given has told us not to be anxious because the Lord knows, the Lord sees, and the Lord provides. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we as we come to You once again this morning. Father, thank You that You are the great provider. Thank You, Father, that You have provided far beyond what we could ever expect or imagine. Father, thank You that You have abundantly provided in the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, once again, as I have already said, I am so thankful to be a part of a loving, giving church. And Father, this is a testimony to Your grace and Your faithfulness. So You are the one who deserves our thanksgiving. And Father, if there are ways individually that each of us need to grow in the priority that we are giving to, supporting the work of the Gospel, through the resources that You give, Father, we pray that You would do the necessary work in our hearts. But Father, we pray that You would help us as we go throughout this week to treasure once again the bread who has come down from heaven, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom You have given so that we might have a hope and a future. Father, we thank You for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.